So I invite you, beloved, to turn to John chapter 6, and we'll be looking at verses 22 to 59. It's a longish passage, but you'll see, I think, it it, uh, hangs together. Hear the word of the Lord through the apostle John. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered that, the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to him, them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent, has sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is, it, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent him draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that you may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whosoever feeds on me, he, will also will live, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. May the Lord add his blessing to the hearing and understanding of his word this morning. Perhaps it, it will be helpful for us this morning to remind ourselves of the context of this conversation that Jesus has just had with the crowds who followed him, not only across the land, but in this instance followed him across the lake to the other side, to the city of Capernaum. He had, earlier, he had fed the 5,000. It's John's account of that feeding. Uh, you will remember there was a feeding of 4,000 and then a, a feeding of 5,000. And John accounts that feeding of the 5,000 uh, and the crowd, because they had been there and had had their stomachs filled, and so Jesus says, that is why they came looking for him. And so the concern that uh, our Lord had and that the church has had ever since, that, that those uh, who would be his disciples are those who would feed upon him, and not be looking for the benefits that are the side benefits that sometimes come to Christians. If you are familiar at all with the, the, the church in Japan, you may have heard the expression rice Christians. That is, uh, people who would come and claim to be uh, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ solely for the purpose of getting a meal of rice. And so missionaries over time uh, have come to refer to those as rice Christians. That is a phenomenon not limited to Japan. We must uh, always remember that the way to be raised up at the last day is to be united to the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that he describes that abiding in him is to feed upon him, to feed upon his flesh and blood. And we'll have more to say about that in a few moments. But let us look at the first point, which is, Sir, give us this bread always. Now, the crowds who had seen Jesus perform the amazing miracle of the feeding of the multitude, as I've said, they come searching for Jesus. Now, these are not just folk who were passive spectators, beloved. These are folk who had partaken of the bread that, and, and the fish that Jesus had multiplied. So they didn't just watch it from uh, the bleachers. They actually played in 
the, they participated in the eating of the bread that had been multiplied. Now, does Jesus commend these people for their tenacity in searching for him? Does he say, well, thank you. Uh, I thought that, that uh, I had lost you all. Is that what he said? No, not at all. Now, between the feeding of the 5,000 and this conversation that Jesus has, uh, is the, is the uh, narrative, the brief narrative that is, that is uh, mentioned at the beginning of the text, that, that the disciples had gone ahead uh, to the other side of the lake without Jesus. Well, Jesus, what happens is that Jesus ends up walking on the water. And that's how Jesus gets to the other side of the lake so quickly. He doesn't walk around the lake, like, or, nor does he go in a boat to the other side. Uh, and so uh, that's why he gets to Capernaum before they do, although he doesn't go into that. We know that from the, the text. Uh, they don't know that. So does he thank them? Is he, does he encourage them for their, their, their boldness in, in pursuing him? Well, the answer, of course, is no. Jesus chides them for looking for him because he filled their stomachs. He satisfied their physical hunger. Uh, and because of that, Jesus encourages them at this point to work for food that endures eternally. In other words, he's going to use this situation as an opportunity uh, to correct them, to, but to do it in a, in a, uh, a way that, that uh, helps them. What we learn from this, little, this part of the conversation, beloved, is that we ought to, to seek spiritual nutrition that surpasses the equivalent of candy. You see, these folk had, had either walked around the lake or had crossed the lake in a boat looking for Jesus because he had satisfied their physical hunger. He's saying you have a spiritual hunger that is far more significant, and yet you ignore that. That's what he's saying. You ignore that. You, you don't pay attention to the spiritual hunger that you have. Jesus points out that he is the Son of Man, is the source of this eternal food. As you're reading this uh, conversation that he has with the, the crowds, uh, uh, it, it, you, might be, uh, you might have in mind the conversation he had with the woman at the well in chapter 4, two chapters earlier. We have a similar situation going on here. Jesus points out, as he did at the well, that he was the, the source of eternal life through living water. Here he is the living bread. He is the source of this eternal food. When people ask what they need to do to do what pleases God, Jesus tells them that believing in him whom God has sent, that is, he himself. Believe on me, Jesus is saying, now, in response to that, the people ask for a sign to prove that Jesus has been sent. Rather insulting, I think, given the fact 
that they had just experienced the feeding of the 5,000. And so basically what they're saying is, what have you done for me lately? After all the feeding, you fed us a while ago and are, we're hungry once again. They had seen the, and experienced the feeding of the 5,000 so that what we learn from this part of the conversation, beloved, is that seeing and participating even in an amazing miracle does not guarantee a responsive heart. Seeing a miracle does not guarantee a responsive heart. And at this point, the crowd pits Moses against Jesus. They say, our father has ate manna from heaven. And then Jesus reminds his hearers that it's not Moses, but God who gave them the manna. And that we saw in the text of Exodus, that it's not Moses who gave them the manna, but it's a divine, direct divine activity that leads to the finding, the, the placing of the manna on the earth for the children of Israel to eat for a period of 40 years. Now, it's true that Moses was the leader of the children of Israel at this time. But the, the, the father is the one who sent the bread from heaven. Like the Samaritan woman at the well, when she learned that Jesus was the source of living water, said, Sir, give me this water. These folk misunderstand Jesus to be offering an unlimited source of regular food. And they say, Sir, give us this bread always. Understandable that the, they would be quite impressed with a, an unlimited, unending, eternal source of regular food. But that is not what Jesus was talking about. Do we misunderstand Jesus so that we think the point of knowing him is that we have, is merely that we have a more successful job, a more comfortable marriage? Do we think that Jesus is our cosmic sugar daddy? That's a temptation we must look out for. And that brings us to our second point. I have come down from heaven. Beloved, you may notice that, that our Lord circles round truth again and again throughout this conversation. First, he notes that the Son of Man would give food that endures forever. Then Jesus said that the Father is the one who gives the true bread from heaven. Now he continues. He says, I am the bread of life. Now, in that statement, he's saying more than the fact that he characterizes himself as somehow nutritious. By saying, I am the bread of life, and you will remember that, that there are several I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the gate. When Jesus is saying that, he's, he's hearkening back to the encounter between Moses and the angel of the Lord at the burning bush when Moses uh, was directed by God to go and to uh, lead the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt, he says, who shall I say has, is sending me, or who has sent me? And the angel, who is God, says, 
you tell them that I am has sent you. And we now uh, come to use the word Jehovah or the, the more accurate Hebrew, uh, Yahweh. Uh, I will be what I will be or I am what I am. So that when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's not merely making a statement about his uh, state of existence. He's saying that he's divine. He's not merely a, a means to get to God. He is himself God, the Son. Whoever believes on him will neither hunger nor thirst. Of course, we're talking in the spiritual sense. Jesus indicts his hearers by reminding them that they see, but still do not believe. They see, but still do not believe. Now, just in case we thought Jesus was admitting to failing his mission, um, Jesus enters then into a consideration of those who, in fact, do come to him. Who is it that will come? He says, all the Father gives him will come to him. And Jesus promises to receive all those who come. He will in no wise cast out those who come to him. And Jesus here returns to a theme we are familiar with uh, throughout the Gospels. He says he comes to do the will of his Father, not his own will. Jesus goes on to explain that he will lose none of those the Father gives him, and will in fact raise them up at the last day. To put it another way, all those who look to the Son and believe on him will have eternal life and will be raised up at the last day. Did you notice how many times in the, our text he said, and I will raise him up at the last day, and I will raise him up at the last day, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus surely thinks that resurrection is important. Beloved, we must remember that the Christian faith does not bypass the human body which God has created. The Lord Jesus Christ, from the time that he takes to himself a true body and a reasonable soul, is forever both God and man. God does not set aside his body. So when, we, when, when, when I say that the spiritual thirsting and hungering are, are the more, more significant than the physical, that's not to say that the physical is irrelevant. It's simply to say that of the two, the spiritual has primacy, priority. Do we realize that we come to Jesus for him and him alone? He it is who satisfies us to the uttermost, there is, beloved, no reward or benefit better or greater than fellowship with Jesus himself. He is not a means to an end. He is the end. And that brings us to our third point. So the Jews grumbled about him. Like their forefathers in the wilderness, these Israelites grumble against God. They think they understand who Jesus is because they know he is the son of Joseph and Mary which, of course, leads many of the commentators to uh, uh, speculate on how much knowledge these people had of who Jesus was or thought they had of who Jesus was. 
Because we know from the, the Gospels that uh, Joseph was the legal father of Jesus, but not the biological father. Once again, this, this part of the conversation reminds us of what Jesus said on another occasion, that a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among those who know him or think they know him intimately. And you'll remember the, the relationship that Jesus had to his own brothers and sisters. Even on occasion, his mother, who should have known better, right? At one point, his family thought he should be committed because, or, or they thought they should give him advice on when to go to Jerusalem during one of the feasts. And so we see uh, that uh, Jesus is more than a mere human being. John chapter 1, of course, of this gospel tells us that there is more to Jesus than appears to the naked eye. When we look at Jesus, do we see the Son of God? Or do we see him as a mere man? Perhaps a good man? Perhaps a, a thoughtful teacher of some sort of ethereal ethic? No. He is the Son of God. Jesus, at this point, then returns to a, an earlier theme. Do not grumble. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up. Once again, the reference to the resurrection. No one can come to the Father unless, uh, no one can come to Christ unless the Father draws him. And some of us will be getting nervous right about now. Well, we understand that Paul teaches predestination, but you're saying that Jesus teaches predestination, and the answer is absolutely. Yes, indeed. You see it right here. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Which raises the question, was the, was the grumbling evidence that these were not drawn by the Father? Well, um, I would say not necessarily. Uh, some of them, yes. Uh, this would be evidence of lack of faith. Um, others may be on the way to being drawn. Jesus uh, uh, cites Isaiah 54, 13, and they will be taught by God. <clears throat> In the prophet Isaiah, this is a passage dealing with the glories of full redemption. Those who hear the Father and believe on Jesus are those who will participate in God's final redemption. That's what it means to be raised up at the last day. That is, we will be able to enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we, you and I, can sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all of our brothers and sisters coming from the east and from the west and the north and the south. That is what we are talking about. Jesus then reminds us here is that no one has seen the Father except he whom God has sent. That means no one has seen the Father except the Son. Jesus says that elsewhere in the Gospels. In the Gospel of Matthew, for instance, he makes the same claim that no one has seen the Father except the Son. And that means that you cannot bypass Jesus to get to the Father. 
There is no such thing as the worship of the Father that does not also involve worship of the Son. Or to put it another way, all attempts to worship the Father without the Son are idolatry. Jesus is the sent one. He is the great I am. I am the bread of life. Now the, the, the crowd tells Jesus that our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. And Jesus says they did and they died. Whoever eats this bread, the bread of life, that is Jesus himself, will not die. That is, of course, true in the, in the spiritual sense, that even though we, as, as believers, go through the valley of the shadow of death, we remember that he is with us as the great shepherd. And he, his staff and his rod, they guide us, they lead us, and they comfort us. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, they will live forever. And the bread that Jesus speaks of is his flesh. All right, now we're getting a little too crass, Jeff. When we consider our salvation in Christ and our satisfaction in him, beloved, do we grumble like Israel in the wilderness or like Israel at Capernaum because we still seek our satisfaction in other places? Those of you who are old enough will remember the movie Urban Cowboy. Urban Cowboy followed the craze of uh, Saturday Night Fever. And in Urban Cowboy, there was a song by Johnny Lee looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces. What Jesus is saying and what the scriptures are saying is that we look for satisfaction in all the wrong places when the right place is staring us right in the face. <clears throat> that brings us to our fourth and final point. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man. Jesus' remark about the bread from heaven being his flesh set off further disputes among the people. They did not like Jesus claiming to be the bread from heaven. And now here he is suggesting that it is specifically his flesh that is in view. No doubt the suggestion of cannibalism was deeply offensive. But of course that's not what Jesus is talking about, is it? Jesus states that unless these folk eat his flesh and drink his blood, they will not have life in themselves. Conversely, it is those who do eat his flesh and drink his blood who will have eternal life and will be raised up at the last day. As uh, disgusting as that may at first sound to you. Jesus notes here that as the living Father sent him and gives life to his Son, so also those who eat and drink Christ will have life. Jesus reiterates the point that the fathers who ate the manna in the wilderness all died, 
but whoever eats and drinks the Son will live forever. Quite understandably, many commentators in the history of the church, many leaders in the church, have seen in this discussion a direct reference to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. I would argue that the, that the reference is indirect rather than direct. By that, what I mean is that we can connect our Lord's remarks here to the Lord's Supper because here Jesus is talking about the spiritual reality to which the Lord's Supper points. In other words, when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, he's talking about spiritual fellowship with him. He's talking about abiding in him. It's like the branch attached to the vine. Why is it necessary for the branch to remain attached to the vine? So that it can be nourished by the sap that flows from the vine to the branch. So Jesus is saying that uh, the only way to experience the resurrection in a positive sense is to be united with the Lord Jesus Christ and to fellowship with him. There was back in the 1600s, interestingly enough, a debate between the great Puritan theologian John Owen and an Anglican bishop by the name of Thomas Sherlock about the nature of union with Christ, what we're talking about here in this text in very colorful language here, but it really is talking about the same thing as what Jesus will talk about in John 15. And they have this debate, the, the great Puritan theologian and vice chancellor of Oxford University debating the Anglican bishop. And uh, the bishop, Thomas Sherlock, says, well, all this discussion about eating the flesh and drinking the blood is really a picturesque way of talking about church membership. And uh, Owen didn't disagree with that point as far as it went, but he said it goes much further. Jesus is talking about fellowship, union and communion with the living Christ. And so it's much more than having your name on a roll, although it's important to have your name on a roll, I would remind you. But you can have your name on the roll and not be feeding on Christ. It is best to be both on the roll and feeding on Christ. Jesus intends for us, beloved, to unite with him by faith, to abide in him, to eat his flesh and drink his blood in the sense of having deep and personal fellowship with him. So this was a shocking way, a hyperbolic way of saying what he says in John 15, the, the branch must remain in the vine. If you are going to fellowship, if you're going to, to believe in me, you must fellowship with me, you must commune with me. And is that your experience, beloved? Is that your experience that you, that you abide in Christ? So we're not teaching that when you eat the bread and drink the juice, you're eating the body of Christ physically, or what we would say literally, but you, are, you ought to be taking it by faith and feeding upon Christ who is in heaven at the Father's right hand. 
And you can do that by the work of the Holy Spirit. And when you drink the juice, you ought to be doing it by faith so that you're feeding and drinking upon Christ and being nourished in that way. It's a spiritual sense, once again. That's what sacraments are. They're earthly things that point to spiritual realities. Jesus is the bread of life who has come down from heaven. He is the only source of redemption and spiritual sustenance. He offers himself to you. Why look for your life's satisfaction somewhere else? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. And we pray that you would be with us, uh, meet with us as we celebrate the, the Lord's Supper that your own son instituted so many years ago, uh, that by doing that we may spiritually feed upon your son and be nourished and strengthened and built up. You have ordained it as a means of grace, and we thank you for this. We pray that you would help us even... Uh, after the celebration, that we would meditate upon the truth of your word as found in John 6, 22 to 59. We pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.